Prayer can often seem to be a difficult thing to do well. Common thinking would suggest that you need the right words, the right cadence, the right flow, and the right passion to achieve prayer that gets heaven's attention. But that's simply not the case. Consistent and earnest prayer that uses the framework that Jesus provides in Matthew 6 has the potential to save lives. And that's Pastor Jeff's focus for the last message of the God Talk series entitled, How to Pray. Enjoy this message from the City of Life Church podcast. Our message today is gonna to be called, How to Pray. I'm gonna give you seven keys to prayer, and I'm gonna ask you to take notes and write this stuff down today because I believe these seven things, if you pray them on a regular basis, it will literally change your life and transform your relationship with Jesus. Please take notes. There's a scripture. I can't remember what it is, but it says they who take notes will get to heaven first. I don't know where it is. I know that it's talking about the rapture that like when you go up, it's like this sort of like the line, like whoever's at the back of the line, the people that never take notes, the people at the front of the line. I don't know. It's in the Bible somewhere. I, I don't know why I can't remember that. Uh, it's first Jeffrey something. I can't remember what it is, but, uh, but uh, no, seriously, please, please, uh, please let's, let's write this stuff down today because uh, it, it's important to know how to pray, to, to look back on this and uh, use it on a regular basis. Our text is Luke chapter 11, verse one. Sort of the whole idea uh, that I wanna frame this with is Luke 11, one. And then the actual prayer is the same story uh, as Luke 11, one, but it's the prayer that was given in, in the version of Matthew. One is the story in Luke. It's the same story in Luke and Matthew, uh, but I'm using the question from Luke and the, and the answer from Matthew, okay? So it says this, uh, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Put your hands up in the air and say, teach me to pray. Come on, one more time, say, teach me to pray. Come on, look up there and say, I don't know everything. I need some help. Teach me to pray. That's a, that's a humble question. It says, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Okay, and Jesus answers, and we're going to find his answer in Matthew 6, 9. I'm going to, he answers in Luke 11 also, but the phraseology used in Matthew 6, 9 is I'm going to fo focus on. He says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm going to talk to you today an idea called teach me to pray or how to pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Bless this time together. Help me deliver this in a way that is just full of your anointing, connecting with hearts to open up our hearts to receive this message and walk out of here transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So there's a difference in offering to teach someone something and having them ask you to teach them. How many people have got kids? Raise your hand if you've got kids. If you've got kids, inevitably, in the process of life, they're going to be doing something stupid, and you're going to have to look at whatever it is that they're doing. They're going to go, do you want me to actually teach you how to do that? Uh, because people just do things wrong. Uh, they use things wrong. Sometimes they don't use things the way they're meant to be used. Uh, 
One time I was at the gym, and obviously I go every single day, as you can look up here and tell, wow, Pastor Jeff, you're crushing it. But anyways, I saw a guy that was next to me with, with some weights, and he was like doing curls like this, and he's like, it looks like he's dancing or something. And I'm just like, yo, man, somebody need to teach that dude how to do some curls, because that's like not right. He's going to hurt his back or something. And I saw, you know, someone said to him, sir, would you like me to teach you how to do that? So he's offering to teach. It's a far different thing for someone to offer to teach you something then when someone actually comes to you earnestly and asks you to teach them, uh, the learning is different. The teaching is different. Uh, my daughter, Zoe, is very, very musical. She sings all the time. She loves music. She can remember lyrics to songs. and She's got a beautiful voice. And uh, she's just going to be a great, great singer someday. Well, she also loves any kind of music. So I was at the piano not long ago, and I was sitting down in our front room playing piano just by myself. I was playing sort of a slower kind of song that was real melodic and uh, I didn't even know she was listening to me but when I was done I walked into the other room and when I walked into the other room she grabbed my hand and she goes and she has this voice she does when she's trying to get me to do what she wants I don't know how many of you have this with your kids but she goes daddy and, and I said what baby she goes will you teach me how to play that song you were playing I was like I will teach you anything you want me to teach you. And so I walked in. I said, baby, sit next to daddy. And I sat there and I showed her how to do it. Man, she was paying attention, watching. She was doing it an octave above me. And, and I heard her and she was having trouble with it. But you know what? The next morning when she was getting ready for school, she walked right in there, picked up right where she left off. I heard her practice it every single day. And now she can sit down at the piano and play that. Why? Because she asked me to teach her. It's a lot different than if I say, come here, I'm going to teach you something. If, that, if it's not burning in you, if you don't have a passion and a hunger to know, you'll never ask. But if you have a passion and a hunger to know and to learn, then you'll ask. And I feel like that we have a problem. Our culture has a learning disability. It's called Google. Okay? And, and the problem with Google is we feel as if we don't have to remember anything because it's accessible. I mean, there are people that might even be sitting in this room right now. He's like, yeah, he said to take notes. I ain't going to take notes. They about to load, upload this to Facebook. I'll just watch it later. And like, you're literally not taking notes because you're going to listen to the podcast and write it down later. Or you feel like you can go back and access it anytime you want. Or you know that one dude that takes all the notes and posts them on Facebook every week anyways. You're just going to read his status later. Uh, so you don't, and I'm just saying it's just the way our world thinks right now. And we're learning less and less because knowledge is so available to us. And, and you say, well, what proof do you have? I'm talking about scientific research that shows uh, one particular thing. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And the Dunning-Kruger effect is a scientific analysis. It's research that was done on people that basically these two guys, Dunning and Kruger, said, I have an idea. They said, let's, let's take people from modern culture. Let's ask them some general knowledge questions. And we, we're interested in what their scores are going to be. We'll just ask them questions like, what's the biggest ocean? What's the capital of the United States? Just, just things like that. Just basic questions. And, and we care about their scores, that's important, but what's even more than the scores, important, more important than the scores is we're going to ask them in advance how they think they are going to do on the test compared to everyone else that takes it. 
That's the information that we're really after. It's not just the scores, but how well they think they're going to do compared to how well they actually do versus everyone else in the room. And here's what was really shocking about the Dunning, they call it now the Dunning-Kruger effect. The people that did the absolute best on the test, meaning the smartest, most intelligent people on the whole thing, were the people that predicted that they wouldn't quite do as good as they actually did. So I'm talking about the smartest people on the test. When asked what they would do, they said, I think I'll do this, but I don't think I'm going to be the absolute best. I think I'm going to do here. But so, so they underestimated their performance. Do you know who did absolutely the worst on this test? The ones who overestimated their own ability. And this problem was found in almost every arena. They took it over to the area of gun safety. They did a whole thing of gun safety where they went through with an instructor. They said, you know, rate yourself on, on how you think you are in gun safety. And they did a test that showed, they went through the process. Every person who thought they were the safest were the worst. Every, all the people who said, I, I think I'm okay, but I don't think I'm probably the best, they were always the best. They did it with driving. They tested people with driving and actually gave them driving tests. What kind of driver do you think? Oh, I think I'm fantastic. And they test them, they stink. They're the worst people. The people that think they're the best drivers are the worst drivers. Who thinks you're a great driver? Oh, you're afraid to raise your hand. <laughs> I was just messing with you. That has nothing to do with my message. I was just trying to scare you. So, so, so what happens is in, in, in the test, the Dunning-Kruger effect shows us that when we think there's very little room for improvement in our life, it's probably an indicator that we need improvement the most. Ignorance of your own ignorance is incurable. Ignorance of your own ignorance is incurable. It's the, one of the biggest problems we have is we don't know we have room for any improvement in our life. If we think that we're experts in an area, we'll never try to improve. Be one of the smart people. Be one of those people that when you look at your life, you're like this disciple. This disciple could have gone, hey, yo, I'm one of the 12. I'm, I'm in the inner circle, man. I made it. I know everything. No. When they saw Jesus praying, this disciple said, man, Jesus has a power. He has an anointing. He has an intimacy with God when he prays that I've never seen before. I'm not content to just watch him and try to emulate him. I'm going to ask him to show me how to do that. Who wants to learn how to pray today? Who wants to say, Jesus, teach me to pray? That's the way I want to frame this. I want to frame it by, I was trying to dig down into that question of teach me to pray, what that means in our current culture. Don't be the person that says, I don't need to learn how to pray. If I want to know, I'll open up Google. If I want to know, I'll open up the sermon notes. I'll watch the replay. No, no, no. Learn it today. Get it in your spirit today, what it means, and walk out of here with a transformed life. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right into the, how to pray the right way. I'm going to give you seven points. I'm going to tell you my goal. My goal is that you pray each one of these seven points tomorrow for 15 seconds each. Okay, I'm not a master mathematician or something like that but if you pray each of these seven points tomorrow for 15 seconds each that will equal a minute and 45 seconds that means that you could pray this way tomorrow in under two minutes and start your day off with fire with passion praying the model of the lord's prayer now listen when i tell you the model of the lord's prayer 
It's so important that we know that this disciple said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, pray like this. He didn't say, pray this. He said, pray this way. He didn't say, say this. So, and I think that sometimes that's the mistake we make with the Lord's Prayer is we think if we just memorize it, that there's some magical powers if we just recite it properly. Like we say it when we're scared and stuff like that and it makes all the bad things go away. It's like you walk in your house. Anybody ever walked in your house and you're by yourself and you hear like a door creak in the other room? And you're like... You ever walk toward a butcher knife before? Like you're going to stab somebody to death in your own house? You ever done a room-by-room room check with a butcher knife? You clear the laundry room? It's like what burglar would hide in the laundry room? You ever got so freaked out that you even do the bathrooms? You ever done the bathrooms? Like the shower curtain? You better be lucky you ain't in there. What burglar would hide in a shower curtain, behind a shower curtain? It's like, but, but we get in those freaked out moments where, where we, we get scared or something. We go, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. We think that's going to save us from something. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not discouraging you from praying any type of prayer. But what I'm trying to say is that Jesus taught us this prayer as the model prayer. It, it, it's the way to pray. And so if we break down the principles of what made this prayer great, we'll be able to translate it into our own words. And the principles of this prayer can teach us what's important to God. So that's what I'm going to do, seven of them. I want you to take 15 seconds each day and pray them in this order. I gave every one of them a little title that starts with a P so you can tell that I'm a preacher. Okay? So here we go. The first one, the first one is our Father. That's the person. Okay? So our Father is the person. Why do we start our prayers with our Father? Well, certainly because Jesus did, but this is really important. Did you know that Jesus called God his Father 165 times in the New Testament? Do you know how many times people called God their Father in the Old Testament? Almost zero. No one ever referred to God as Father in the Old Testament. Sometimes he would be called the Father of Israel, the Father of the nation, the Father of creation, things like that, that were very uh, distant kind of... Uh, phraseologies for him as a creator, like the father of creation, is not a very personal thing. Jesus is basically saying dad. He's calling God dad. So this is a way of approaching God that no one had, I mean, it used to seem very disrespectful to Jews who would hear Jesus call God Abba or dad. They'd be like, who does he think he is calling Elohim and calling Yahweh or Jehovah dad? That's casual language. You would never talk to the creator that way. Isn't it amazing that Jesus was God's son, but when he taught us how to pray, he said, not my father, he said, but our father. Look at someone next to you say, he's my father. Look, it doesn't, uh, the point of this is not whether or not you had a great dad or, or an absentee dad or didn't have a dad at all. The point is that God wants to teach you what a true father is supposed to be. He wants to love you. He wants you to know that you've been adopted into his family. He wants to know that you're safe, that he's your protector. He's your provider today. He's your comforter today. He wants to wrap his arms around you today. He wants you to know that you have been adopted into this brand new family. 
2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I will be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. John 1.12 says, to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we start our prayers, we pray to our father, that is the person. You say, what does that mean? It means simply this. I wake up out of bed. I say, good morning, father. And I, I confess that he's my father. Thank you so much that I'm adopted into your family. It's not about my natural family, Lord. It's about who I am in you. Lord, the past is gone, and just let me live today as an adopted man of God that is a kingdom-thinking person. And I thank you that I'm your son today in Jesus' name. That's what praying our father is. That's the person. Number two, our father in heaven. So in heaven, what is that? That is the position. In heaven is the position. Here's the, it's a very simple revelation. I need to be reminded that he is higher than I. I need to be reminded that he is higher than I. Uh, anybody ever seen that movie, The Shining? I'm not suggesting you go watch The Shining, but The Shining has a, a scary scene in it where these people are in this like maze outside. It's like this shrub maze. And it, I, I went in one of those things one time and I was having flashbacks of The Shining when I saw when I was a kid. It was like a terrible torturing my brain. And I was scared and I, I started getting anxiety. I couldn't get out. But did you, wouldn't it be so much easier, though, to get out of that thing if you could back up and look at it from overhead? See, it's like a crossword puzzle. When you look at a crossword puzzle, or not a crossword puzzle, what's, it, what's them things called? Help me. What's it called? No, where you get out, the lines. Huh? Maze? It's called a maze? A maze? Okay, a maze. It's like the maze. My brain is just dead. So the maze, it's like when you see the maze, you go, okay, you just stare at it for a second. You go, okay, if I go this way and I go this way. It's different. Our perspective is different when we're in the middle of something than it is when we back up from it and get a bird's eye view. We need to be reminded that our father is where? He's in heaven. He's above us. He's higher than us. He's bigger than us. So he's the one with the perspective. That's why it's important. We go, you're bigger than me. You're higher than me. Our father in heaven. So it's the person. It's the position. Then we move to number three. Hallowed be your name. What is that? That's the praise. Hallowed be your name. To hallow something is to set it apart and to make it off limits for anything else other than that noble purpose it was created for. Do you know what it reminds me of? My grandma, my dad's mom, Mama Smith, had this dadgum set of china in her house. And she had a cabinet that she kept this china in. And did you know that till the day that she died, I never saw her use that one. No one was allowed to touch that china. I don't care if the president came over. He wasn't worthy enough to eat all. Anyone ever known someone that's got something that's so holy that no one is allowed to touch it? Well, I'm not even sure if she would let Jesus eat on this china, because, but I'm just telling you, this china was, it was like kept with a lock on it. You could look at it, but you could not touch it. That's setting something apart and making it holy. What does it mean? It means it's too worthy for everyday purposes. See, and, 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 you know, even when I was a kid, we had, we had the good dishes and then we had the regular dishes. And even the good dishes, even though you could eat on them every once in a while, you didn't eat on them every day because they were set apart for special moments. Okay. In the same way, hallowed be your name. What you're doing is going, God, you're special. 
You're worthy. You're holy. You're not common. I lift you up today. I worship you. Hey, hallowed be your name is about getting your praise on every day. It's about getting in God's presence, even if it's for 15 seconds, and say, you're the creator of the universe, Lord. You're the redeemer. You're the comforter. Your name is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Your name is Jehovah Nisi. You are my banner. Your name is Jehovah Shalom. You are my peace. Your name is Jehovah Mekadish, the one who makes me righteous, God. Lord, your name is Jehovah Sidkin. You just go down all the things that you've got to praise the Lord about and you just have a little 15 second praise break. That's what hallowed be your name is all about. It's letting God know that I give you all the praise and I give you all the glory. So then we go down to thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the purpose, the purpose. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you just pray that for 15 seconds, I'm talking 15 seconds, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the ways of God. That's what the kingdom is. When Jesus came into our life, what he did is he came to establish his kingdom. What is his kingdom? It's his ways in our life. People mistake the, the location uh, of the kingdom uh, for, the, for the ways of the kingdoms. We don't, the kingdom doesn't mean that heaven is moving to Kissimmee, Florida and kicking us out of these buildings and God's going to set up all of his offices here and stuff like that. No, it means that the ways of God comes into my life wherever I go. Look at someone next to you say, the kingdom is in you. The kingdom of God is the ways of God in our life. So if we're honest with ourselves, the most difficult part of this model to pray is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because nobody really likes to say thy will be done. Nobody likes to say thy will be done. If you have a conversation with your spouse, and you go, you know, what, what, what do you want to eat? You ever had this conversation? Say, I don't know. What do you want to eat? And you go, well, I'm in the mood for the Olive Garden Alfredo sauce with them breadsticks and dip it in there. Well, I'm about to blow up Olive Garden today. They ought to send me a gift card because I know some people about to go get that. I want to, and, and then you go, what do you want? And she goes, well, I want chilies. And you're like, oh, man, we get chilies anytime. And she's like, well, I want you. You say, well, I'm open for whatever. If you really want chilies, then let's go to chilies. She's like, okay, then let's go to chilies. And then you go to chilies. You're like, dadgummit. You know, she ended up doing what she wanted to do. You're basically saying, thy will be done. And then she goes ahead and does what she wants. And you're thinking because you're like, well, I'll do whatever. She'd be like, let's go to Olive Garden. But no, she chose the thing over your thing. And then that becomes a problem. So it's sort of like the great philosopher Ace Ventura when he says, let's do all the things that you want to do. That's what thy kingdom come, thy will be done is really like. You're going, let's do all the things that you want to do. Now look at somebody next to you say, if I'm being honest, I don't really want to pray that. Why? What do we want to pray? Let's do all the things that I want to do. And every day, it's important for us to have the purpose of God in our life where we say, let's do all the things that you want to do, God. I've got a way that I would do this if it were up to me, but I want your purpose. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes, Lord, I'm looking at what's in front of me here. If there's any other way, 
Let's do that. He goes, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus demonstrated this. You can do that every day. Pray God's way to be established in your life. That's, that's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And that's the purpose. Number five, give us this day our daily bread. That is the provision. Okay? So what that is, is take care of me today, God. Can I tell you something? That no powerful prayer for tomorrow, no matter how good it is, will ever suffice for the prayer that we should be praying for today. It doesn't matter how much you pray for tomorrow. Daily bread means waking up today and praying for today. If you want to pray for tomorrow after you pray for today, that's fine. But your prayer for tomorrow ain't going to cover the prayer that you're supposed to be praying tomorrow. Does that make sense? We got to pray every day. And what do we do when we say, give us this day our daily bread? What we're recognizing is, God, my food doesn't come from a chef. It doesn't come from a grocery store. It doesn't come from, from me making it for myself and taking a sack lunch. It don't come from any of that stuff. What it comes from is the clothes on my back. You put clothes on my back. You put a roof over my head. You put shoes on my feet. You put the food on my table. You take care of me. I acknowledge you in everything I do. Give me this day my daily bread meet all of my daily needs it's not about me it's about you can somebody say amen today that's the provision and then number six and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors this is a daily prayer forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors please key on this real quick the amount of forgiveness that it's possible for you to receive from heaven is fully predicated on the amount of forgiveness that you are willing to release on earth. I'll say it again. The amount of forgiveness that you are able to receive from heaven is fully predicated on the amount of forgiveness you are willing to release on earth. Jesus said it way shorter and way better when he said this. If you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. It's very simple. You can't be forgiven. That's why every day. And what do we do? Every day. We go, Lord, I just want to ask you to forgive me of my thoughts. Forgive me of my actions. Lord, that have not been pleasing to you. And then, Lord, that guy at work that lied about me and is saying all this stuff that's not true. And before you even ask for forgiveness, you're visualizing yourself slapping his glasses off just like this in slow motion. And then you, in, in your head, you back it up. You go backwards. And you go, and Father, I just asked you to forgive me. And you already forgave me for those things that I did this week. And because I need that forgiveness, I'm going to forgive this guy for what he's done because I need the forgiveness myself. And we pray it every day. We, we, we live that every day. Forgive me for what I've done and let me forgive other people for what they have done to me. And then finally, the last one, number seven, lead us not into temptation. You're going to be tempted every day. You're going to be tempted you, you're going to face temptation all over the place. And what lead us not into temptation means is when I'm in the middle of a test, let me pass, Lord. Don't let me fail. Be with me. Let me be an overcomer. 
Deliver us from the evil one means, and I know the devil's trying to destroy me, but give me, give me victory over him. I want to be more than a conqueror over the devil this week. I want to be more than a conqueror over anything he throws my way. Just be with me through. I know I'm going to go through tests today, God, but let me just be a winner today. Let me overcome. Let me be more than a conqueror in Jesus' name. And listen, man, if you pray that every day, that model every day, oh my gosh, it's going to change your life. If you pray the person, our Father, the position in heaven, the praise, hallowed be your name, the purpose, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the provision, give us this day our daily bread, the pardon, forgive me of my debts as I forgive my debtors, and the protection, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Your life will be transformed. And you're saying, but how could I ever do that? How could I ever pray? that kind of prayer. Well, I told you 15 seconds. I'm going to do it right now. Five seconds each. Just show, I'll show you what it looks like. Five seconds. Just going through the... Our Father, I thank you today, God, that you're my Father and I'm your Son who art in heaven. I thank you so much today, my Lord God, that you're higher than me. Your perspective is stronger than mine. You can see everything. Hallowed be thy name. I praise you right now. Right here in the bathroom stall at work, God, I praise you. I just give you the glory. You're good. You're Jehovah today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me live the ways of God, Lord, when I walk into this meeting. Let me live the ways of God. Show your peace, your character, your kindness, your love to people all around me. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I thank you, God, that you put the food on the table. It's not my paycheck. It's not anyone else, Lord. It's you. You provide everything I need. Lord, forgive me of my debts as I forgive my debtors. Let, me, let my heart be full of forgiveness and forgive me for all these things I've done this week, God. Haven't prayed enough. Haven't worshipped you enough. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Lord, I need you to be with me through these tests that I'm going to face. I know you're going to help me overcome in Jesus' name. I just prayed it right there. I mean, that's, that's less than two minutes of your life to start your day with. Ooh, it's going to fill you with power. That's going to fill you with confidence to walk into any situation and know that you're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. you got a relationship with Jesus. You know how to pray. And let's not forget, week number one that I talked about prayer, I talked about authenticity. You don't have to be a professional prayer. You don't have to have all the words down. You just pray with the voice that you have and the heart that you have. God loves an honest person that just come to him just like you are. That's his favorite thing. So just make sure that you get in the presence of God and you get confidence in your prayer life. Thank you for listening to the City of Life Church podcast. You can expect encouraging messages from our pastoral staff each week. And if you would like to partner with us and invest in what God is doing in Orange and Osceola County through City of Life Church, you can give by heading to col.tv slash give.